Let's turn to Daniel 8, verses 1 through 27. Daniel 8, 1 uh, through 27. The whole, whole chapter, really, we're going to do uh, Daniel this week. In, in the next couple of weeks, we'll, we might take a short break. On the uh, 24th, we're going to have a, an outreach evening where we're going to invite people around to the church uh, when we're uh, kind of out towards Ravenscourt Park area. Uh, we'll, we'll do some flyering and things uh, before that, that Sunday and invite people to, to come and join us for uh, the service and for an ice cream after. So um, we'll, we'll probably take a break from Daniel that week because it is, uh, as, as we'll, we'll hear again tonight, uh, it, it, it gets a little, well, odd if you're not used to this sort of thing. Uh, which I think within the church we're, we're a little more uh, open to an understanding of, of kind of what, what these visions are, but, it, but they still confuse us, don't they? Which is one of the reasons why I thought it would be good for us to, to go through all of Daniel, not just stop at the narrative, but, but continue on through. Uh, because actually when we, when we begin to look at them, uh, often they, they actually interpret their, themselves. And we, we saw that back in chapter 7, and we'll, we'll see that again tonight in Daniel 8, that, that he's not just given this vision in a vacuum, there's a context to it, and there's a, an interpretation for it. And so we'll hear that now from Daniel 8, beginning in verse 1. Once again, this is, this is God's word. It's holy, it's inerrant, it's infallible. So let's, let's, let's listen carefully to the word of God. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns, standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it, changed, as it charged toward the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power the large horn was broken off, and in its place four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the, to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry host down on the earth and trampled on them, it set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the, surren the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. He said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be reconse reconsecrated. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, 
There before me stood one who looked like a man. I heard a man's voice from the Uli calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep from my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath, because the vision concerned the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the king of the kings of Medea and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from this from his nation, but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. And I think the, there's a key to understanding this passage and, and, and most of these visions that we see in Daniel. And, and I think that key is actually found in the film Back to the Future. You probably know the film. It, it recounts the, the tale of a teenager who travels back in time in the time machine created by his mad scientist friend. And he goes back in time uh, 30 years to when his own parents were, were teenagers like him. And he finds himself uh, sitting at his, his grandparents' dinner table. And he's next to his mother, who, who's about his age. And uh, they're, they're sitting around uh, getting ready for dinner. And in typical American fashion, the father drags the television set into the dining room so they can watch the TV while they're eating. And, and uh, when, when he, the, the program comes on, uh, this, this young man, Marty McFly, uh, lights up and he says, I've seen this one. I've seen this one. This is the one where they do X. And his uncle, who's, who's just a little boy, says, how could you have seen this one? It's brand new. And, and he says, well, I, I saw it in a, in a rerun. And his uncle says, what, what's a rerun? It's, this, is, this is all new stuff. This is brand new. No one's, ever, no one's ever seen this before. We've never been here before. But what Daniel, what Daniel tells us is that, that as Christians, when we look at our world, we should be able to say, I've seen this one. I've seen this one. I, I, I've seen this thing before. I've, I've seen this, this uh, event happen before, even while the world's saying, no, 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 this is, this is all brand new. You know, this is all, this is all uh, progress. This is all enlightenment. 
This is, this is better and more freeing and more moral than we've, than we've ever been before. You, you couldn't have seen this before. But the, the Christians look, look at the world through the lens of Scripture. And so we're able to say, I've, I've seen this one. This is familiar. This is, this is old. This is, this is something we've, we've been told about before. This is what, what God's doing through Daniel's visions. He's, he's preparing him and, and his people for, for what is to come. And what we see in these visions are actually uh, uh, microcosms of, of the, the ages ahead. It speaks to, to a particular time period, it, both in, in Daniel's day and in the, the about, uh, roughly 300 years that followed his life. But what we find here are, are actually timeless principles, things that we can, can look at and see in our own world. They're timeless truths that's being laid out here in Daniel's vision. And so what I, what I would suggest to us this evening is that, that the overarching point of, of this, this vision that Daniel has is that evil is going to rise and fall. And, and even extreme evils are going, to, are going to come into the world. And they're going to do great damage, even, even harm to God's people. But God is eternal. And in him is deliverance. And in him is the, the surety of, of, of hope through, through his grace and his mercy. Another way of, of saying it would be to borrow the, the words of the Apostle Paul to say that, that I am convinced that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with, with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, Daniel's clear that there's, there's going to be suffering, that there's going to be evil in our world, but, but actually the hand of God can constrain even that. Even the things that appear to be great evil cannot happen just simply in a vacuum, and they can't, can't happen even in their own, their own power. And our great God promises deliverance for his people. And I want to lay this, this truth out actually in, in two points tonight. I know I only gave us two points this morning. I'm being really lazy today, and I'm only giving us two points. And I should also add that I'm, I'm lifting almost all of this material, not almost, I'm lifting all of this material from Sinclair Ferguson, uh, who's very good and very clear uh, on, this, uh, on this passage. And it's, it is rather complex, these visions. So uh, it actually, it, it, Sinclair Ferguson causes it to make sense. And so I, I commend him to you. If you get confused on any points, uh, that's probably the bits that I added. Uh, the points that are really clear uh, are not original to me tonight. They're, they're from Sinclair Ferguson. So our, our two points this evening are one, troubling visions and their interpretations, and two, what you and I are meant to do with them. So two very simple points, isn't it? Troubling visions and their interpretations of what you and I are meant to do with them. First, uh, the, the first point is going to be a bit longer, the second point will be a bit shorter. Uh, but, but let's begin with this, the, these troubling visions and their interpretations. So first notice the, the context of the vision in verses 1 and 2. We're, we're back to the, the reign of Belshazzar. And you'll remember uh, that, that uh, Belshazzar, uh, this is like in chapter 7, but we're, we're seeing things that, that are, are happening uh, or, or, or are going to happen during the reign of, of this king Belshazzar. He was the one that was partying, remember, when, when his, his city was surrounded by the enemy. And, and the enemy uh, took over, uh, the enemy were the Medes, and, and that was when Daniel uh, interpreted the writing on the wall. See, what God had, had done with these visions, the one in chapter 7 and this one tonight, is that he was preparing Daniel in advance to, to understand the times that he lived in. And so when, when Daniel's called into, into that chamber 
where the writing had been had been put on the wall. It didn't just sort of happen in a vacuum. Why was it that he was able to keep a clear head and a cool head and he could tell the king exactly what was going on? It was because God had prepared him for those things. He had received these these visions in advance. He, he had been told the really important things for him to understand before it was revealed to everyone else. And so Daniel's told that that these things that he's, he's seeing and that, that are being revealed to him are really, really important. And it was really important for him to understand them. That's what we hear the angel Gabriel being told. So what did he see? Well, he first sees this, this vision of the ram, right? And the ram is, is really powerful. And uh, you, you, I like watching farm shows. And you, you always see the, the ram put out in the, the field and he just, he just runs, runs amok. You know, they, they put him out for breeding, and he just he goes crazy. And, and that's what, what this vision is. It's a, it's a ram. But this ram's, the, the whole world's open to him, and he's running from, from all over the world, north, south, east, and west, and nothing can stop him. Nothing can stand in his way. And he, he became powerful. And Daniel's told in, in verse 20, or, or verse 19 and 20, that this is the Medes and the Persians. In other words, either the, the kingdoms that he's, He's currently living under the one that he's about to live under, the, the Persian Empire, followed by, followed by the Medes. And this is where, uh, and, and then we're, we're told what happens next. The goat comes onto the scene. Now, this goat's interesting, isn't it? Again, I, I love goats. Actually, one of my children's promised me that, that when, I re- when I retire, she's, they're, they're going to give me a goat so that I don't get bored. To be, if I'm really honest with you, that's the only reason why I still exercise because I want to be an old man with a goat. But I don't want a goat like the one Daniel has. This one that he sees, it's, it's weird, isn't it? It's a, it's a unicorn goat. As you notice this, he's got one prominent uh, horn coming out, out of his head, right between his eyes. And he's a fierce goat, isn't he? He's mean. He runs, he runs at the ram. And he throws him down and he tramples him. And there's, there's nothing that they can do to save the ram. The goat grows to be this incredibly powerful thing. Well, it's a nation, isn't it? This incredibly powerful nation. But, but his horn breaks off at the height of his glory, at the height of his power. This, this one single horn breaks off, and, and it's replaced by four others. What's this all about? Well, we're told once again in, in verses 21 22, the interpretation of this vision. The, the goat is the Greek empire, which means that that horn, that prominent horn, would be Alexander the Great, who conquered almost the entirety of the world by the age of 26, before dying at the height of his power in his early 30s. He was, he was powerful. People thought he was unstoppable. He was this incredible leader. He spent most of his adult, his adult life leading his, his army into battle. He was a commander by the age of 21. He was a man who, who led this, this military force that was feared throughout the world. And yet we're told that, that his end would be sudden. The horn would be broken. And indeed, for Alexander the Great, it was. And his empire would be replaced by, by four others that, that spring up on, on the head of the goat. And, and again, this is about, this is roughly 300 years after the, the life of Daniel. But we, we have these four empires, or are these four these four empires, these four uh, kingdoms that spring up on the head of the goat, and what this means is that the the kingdoms would be would be fragmented. We're told that they would all be powerful, but they wouldn't be as great as the single empire 
in verse 22. But we're pointed then to, to what's really the climactic moment in this vision. You have these four empires, these four little horns emerge, and then you've got another little horn that that, that emerges and it, it grows off of one of the other horns. I think it's a bit like when you get a really big carrot and you know the, you've got one carrot and then you've got a little tiny bit that starts to grow off it a little. You know what I'm talking about, right? We've all bought carrots. No? Yeah, yeah, just the one little carrot coming off. Yeah, it, but, we're, but we're told that this, this little bit, this little tip of, of carrot uh, it, it is, is, is growing off and it's pointing in a particular direction. Let's look back at verses 9 through 14. It says, it says this, out of one of out of one of the horns, one of them, came a, a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the hosts and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great even as, as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And the host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgressions that make desolation, desolate, and the giving over the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. You see, the focus of this little horn, and the focus really of the whole vision for Daniel, is on what's called the glorious land. That is the, the land of God's people, of Israel. Sinclair Ferguson says that, that, that this is key for us to understand, that, that this understanding of history focuses the, the judgment of God on one single issue. How did the nations respond to my chosen people? And Jesus intimates that, that this will be the, per, the perspective of the final judgment of the nations. This is, this is a, a vision of judgment, isn't it? And this, this little horn is, the, is pointing to that single question. How did the nations react and interact with God's holy people? Now, if you remember back to chapter 7, there was a, a little horn that emerged from the fourth beast there. And it represented essentially the, the final antichrist. But this, this little horn this evening is different. It appears to be tied to a, to a particular person in history, which, are, which, which rises up out of, out of this, this uh, uh, Greek kingdom. And we believe this person is, is Antiochus Epiphanes. One of the, the four dynasties that emerged out of the Greek empire was the Syrian dynasty. And out of that, that dynasty emerged this man Antiochus Epiphanes. And, and Antiochus Epiphanes was, was a, a real monster. Uh, he was so wretched, even his name was blasphemous. His name meant uh, the illustrious God. Although Ferguson tells us that, that others called him Epimenes, which meant the madman. And it was an appropriate name. Uh, he came to power in 175 BC. So again, that's a little bit over 300 years or so after Daniel lived. And his, his life would fall in the, the middle of what would be 400 years of, of silence, 400 years where, where there was no prophet for God's people in Israel. There was, God was not speaking directly to his people. This was 400 years prior to uh, the 400 years leading up to the birth of Christ. But Antiochus Epiphanes uh, invaded and, and took over Palestine. 
and he uh, when he invaded, he he went to the temple and he he threw down the high priest in Jerusalem, and he he placed there his own high priest, someone who was loyal to him, and then he went off to to conquer Egypt, and while he was conquering Egypt, uh, there there was a rumor circulated in Jerusalem that that Antiochus Epiphanes was killed in battle, and so the Jews rebelled and overthrew this high priest that he had had put in place, and they they restored the original high priest. And here's how Sinclair Ferguson describes the repercussions of that. He says, Antiochus accused the people of rebellion, savagely attacked and sacked Jerusalem, and executed tens of thousands of its inhabitants, 40,000 apparently dying within the space of three days, while others were taken captive. He entered the Holy of Holies in the temple, sacrificed a pig on the altar of burnt offering, defiled the temple precincts, took the sacred furniture, and established a traitor, Menelaus, as high priest. This man would later vent his frustration for his defeat in Egypt uh, on, further on God's people, the Jews, killing 20,000 of them gathered for Sabbath day worship. You, everything that, that you hear in this, in this, this vision, you, you see happening in, in the history books, in, in the life of God's people. It was a, it was a dark time. Daily sacrifices in the temple were suspended. And a statue of the, the pagan idol Zeus was erected in the, the temple of God. And human sacrifice were made there. This is a, much of this is recounted in, in the apocryphal books of the, the Maccabees, uh, which fall kind of between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're not, they're, they're not God's word, but they, they tell a bit of the history of what happened here. But where was God in all this time? God was, if God was silent, where was he? You know, this is a massively dark time for his people. Why would God allow it? Where, where was he in the midst of it all? Was he powerless to stop it? Well, Daniel tells us a couple of things. First in verse 24, he tells us that, that even the great evil was subject to a, a greater power. He says that, that this wasn't simply their power that they were exercising, but their power had to come from somewhere. You see, the God of the universe was still present and he was active. Second, the, we're told that the power of evil, though extensive, was, was limited. That there were limits to what the, these powerful nations were able to do. Daniel's assured by the, the angel Gabriel that what he's revealing to him would, would happen at, at the end. In other words, there would be an end to it. There would be an end to the suffering and the evil that was being visited on, on God's people, even though it was the result of their rebellious hearts and their sin. And third, these visions give Daniel a, a clear picture of what, what evil truly is. You know, we, can, we can often uh, hear things that we, we think don't sound quite right, but really what, what we see here is, is the, the true picture of evil. If something seems not quite right, yeah, we can't quite put our finger on it in our own world. But God's word reveals what true evil is. And it's, it's the destruction of, of the worship of the true God. The destruction of the worship of the one true God. And that's, a, in essence, what we, what we hear this, this, this man Antiochus Epiphanes doing, isn't it? He's holding God's people back from being able to worship and glorify him. 
And along with that, we, he calls good evil and evil good. Humanity stands unrepentant and in opposition to holy God. Evil is the, the persecution of God's people for no other reason than just evil for evil's sake. But what even the most, the, the most powerful, most evil people in the world cannot escape is the fact that we're all dependent beings. That each and every one of us is, is dependent upon God's grace, even if that's simply common grace. That we were all created by, by our God. And our very breath is dependent on Him. So what are we meant to take away from, from these disturbing images? Let's, let's find out in our second point. What are, what are you and I meant to do with these visions? Well, there's a number of encouragements, I think, for us to take away from what are otherwise disturbing visions. First, we need to understand, underscore the, the message that's really been the, the message of the entire book of Daniel. That the one true God is sovereign over all of history. The one true God is sovereign over all of history. This is, this is evident not only in the fact that, that evil is limited, but in the, the simple fact that, that any prophecy at all is dependent upon a higher power. It's, it's dependent on a God who can deliver. You can't have prophecy without a sovereign God. We couldn't have these visions which were, were able to, to prepare Daniel and, and God's people for what was to come without being assured that they would be fulfilled, without a great and sovereign God who could bring them to fulfillment. That's a beautiful fact of our world, isn't it? There are a few things in, in all of Scripture that should, should comfort us more than the knowledge that God is, is in control of, of our whole world. He's in control of everything. But most of all, that, that he's, he's for his people. That he's for us. Even, even when Israel was was being subject to uh, tremendous persecution at the hands of a tyrant. God still loved his people. God still had a plan for his people. And roughly 175 years later, he would send a savior to, to pay for the sins of his people. That's a beautiful fact, isn't it? Secondly, we should be encouraged by the limitations of evil. We often think that, that evil knows no bounds, don't we? When we experience evil in our, in our own lives, it, it, it can so hurt us and break us and, and traumatize us that we, 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 can't, we, we, we just have trouble seeing any, any possibility for good. But what Scripture tells us is that, that, that evil has its limits and that it, it, it consistently oversteps itself. That it, that it crosses a line that it's, it's not meant to cross, and it gets beaten back. In fact, that's what, what sin is in, in many ways. Sin is, is overstepping a, the, the boundaries of, of God's law, the things that God has put into place to, to rule us, and there's a reckoning for that. And that's the, the pattern that we see developing in this vision, don't we? The ram that, that looks so powerful, it looks so unstoppable, until the unicorn goat comes along and it looks so unstoppable until at its the height of its power it loses its, its horn and these little horns look so powerful and the little horn growing out looks so powerful until they're overthrown and brought down 
often by their own overstepping. You know, this last week we saw uh, the sentencing of, of Ghislaine Maxwell, the, the woman who, who groomed young girls for, for sex with wealthy men, including Jeffrey Epstein and his cronies. And she was sentenced to, to 20 years in prison for that. And it, it's, it's been decades since all of this happened. And, and her victims have just been waiting and waiting and waiting for justice. And this week they, they sentenced her 20 years. But the question that, that still was asked this week was, what about all the men who committed these acts? Which is a, a really good question. It's a really fair question. What about them? When will they be brought to justice? Well, Daniel says, wherever there's, wherever there's evil, just wait. Just wait. If not on, on this side of eternity, then, then on the next, certainly. Evil cannot prosper forever when a holy and sovereign God reigns. Next, we're reminded of our, of our dependence upon God, aren't we? And His grace. The wicked seek to, to prosper in their own strength, and they often appear to do so. But along with the, the limits of evil, we see the, the limits of human strength. Human strength is, is vulnerable. And the things that we think make us strong often leave us feeling really weak and fearful and insecure. Why did uh, Antiochus Epiphanes lose it on the Jews when, when he uh, was defeated in Egypt? Well, it's because he was a, a deeply insecure man. A man who, who, who uh, feared that he wasn't as strong as he thought he was. You know, often people who, who have the most money, the richest people in the world, fear ha, ha, are, are most fearful about money. Often the, the strongest people in the world are, are fearful of being the target. The smartest people in the world fear being made to look stupid. The, the arrogant are, are oblivious to, to their own vulnerabilities. But the wise look to, to the God who is sovereign over all things and trust in his strength. And that's actually the, the central calling of, of the gospel. This is what Daniel's been calling us to for, for eight, nine weeks now. To, to look to the God who's overcome the nations of the world. Our God's overcome every single nation of this world, even before they, they have risen, and, and, and who knows how many more are going to rise and fall between now and the end. Where does our hope lie, though, in a world like this one, where nations rise and fall, where kingdoms come and go, what has the rest in the, in the one king over all creation, the sovereign Lord and God, and in the, the Savior who has purchased us by his blood, through his death and resurrection, Christ Jesus. Lastly, let's, let's notice that, that Daniel's vision points to the consistent pattern of, of persecution in our world. We don't always feel it in our, in our own country, but we pray for it every Sunday, don't we? For, for our brothers and sisters throughout the world who, who face persecution. And we, we see that so clearly in this, in this passage tonight. We, we talked about it with Antiochus Epiphanes, but, but Satan is one who, who seeks to attack God's people, doesn't he? And to persecute God's people. And he does it by, by often by trying to disrupt our worship. Like when the Jews were unable to observe the daily sacrifices. When a, a, 
idol of Zeus was placed in the temple. Satan, Satan tries to disrupt our worship. And Satan tries to sow seeds of division among the people of God, doesn't he? Like the various schisms we've seen throughout the history of the church. And he does it by causing us to fear man rather than God. And this happens almost on a daily occurrence. So what do we do when we're, we're faced with these, with these pressures? What do, we, what do we do in a world that seems uh, to have gone mad? Well, we should look at what Daniel did in verse 27. Did you notice what Daniel did at the very end of our passage? 20, or 27, yeah, verse 27, 29, no, 27. It says this, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. See, Daniel reacted like you and I would react, didn't he? He doesn't have some super faith. He, he reacted exactly how you and I would react. He, he was troubled. He was, he was unwell. Maybe he was a bit depressed even, but he, he'd stayed in bed for, for a couple of days. But he didn't stay there, does he? After a couple of days, what does he do? He, he gets up and he goes about the king's business. He goes about the, the calling that God had placed in his life. He does what, what he was called to do every single day, what he normally would have done. He simply got up and lived his life confident that God orders all these things. You see, folks, our, our world wants to tell us that we're, we're better or smarter or more sophisticated than we've ever been. But when we look around at our world, we can't help but still see the evil that's present everywhere, can we? You see, when the world says that we've, we've moved on from these outdated religious practices, when it says that we, we've, we've evolved, we've changed, we've gotten better, that's when we, we have to say, no, 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 we've, we've seen this one before. We've seen this one before. It's when we, that's when we as God's people begin to feel the, the, the heat and pressure of life in a, in a secular nation that looks to, to pull us away from being faithful to Christ. That's when we have to say, we've seen this one before. Scripture says you've seen this one before. But there's a great and sovereign God over, over all the world who rules today just as he did in Daniel's day and just as he has in every day in between. And what he has to tell us is you've, you've waited once for his, his grace to be revealed. And it was in, when Christ came and paid for our sins. And he's overcome evil in, in his death and resurrection. And he's claimed his kingship. And when we, when we hear the world singing the same tune, and we say, we've seen this one before, it should be a reminder to us to just wait. Just wait, because Christ is coming again. And the powers of this world will, will look like nothing more than a ram or a goat that's easily dealt with by the true authority. Let's pray.